<laughs> Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe. Welcome podcast. back. Uh, yes. Yeah. Good God, a little bit of a hiatus, but whatever. You 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 people aren't paying us yet to do this, so you know we're allowed <laughs> I mean, to take you're... a break when life gets in the way. You can pay us if you want to. We have yeah. no objection with that. Uh, welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, uh, another episode of a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. I can still say that with relative ease. And you uh, said my, it. I well did. My name is Dylan Murphy. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, John Gillen, from the beautiful Coloradian mountains. Yeah, I say. M- m- mountains, mon- montanas. Yes. yes. Anyway, that's me. I'm here doing the things. Doing the things. You are doing, doing more things than any man ever should. In, in a human know, being succession. be allowed. That's true, but we, we soldier on. Um, uh, I am a, a songer, singwriter, guitar player, and John is a full-time guitar teacher, and we talk guitars and pedals and other guitar. Uh, well, we rip on Kirk Hammett from Metallica from time to time. Yeah, somebody's got to. Sometimes John goes on a little bit too much about his love of Steve Vai, and we have to call him on it, so, you know. Oh, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> But, but more more sort of Steve Vai <laughs> circa like 2000 yeah, to 2002, if, you know. That's... How, okay, so what era of like, it, for that kind of era, how long is the hair? Uh, well, it sort of depends. If if you're looking at like 96 or so, it's not much longer than mine is now. So it's kind of yeah. like short. The Alien Love Secrets era is kind of short and cropped. And he carries that till about 2000 or so. And then he grows it out after that. So. He's like Tom Cruise. It's like it's like a different, you know. It, he he mixes it up every now and yeah, again. Yeah, I guess I guess somebody's got to, right? <laughs> somebody's got to. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe he around the whole like '96 era, which is you know, coincidentally enough or conveniently enough, the same era as Load by Metallica. So you know, Ooh, short hair. Ooh, that's interesting. Short hair, don't care. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. John Petrucci chopped his hair around the same time period, he like did. early two thousands. Yeah, and now he looks a bit like Zach Wilde, so. Yeah, I know, but beefier. Well, I don't know, they're both pretty beefy. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 bet, uh, I bet John Petrucci probably works out a little bit more. Yeah, he does. Guessing, he he uh, doesn't hide it. Anyway, John, if you're listening, and we know you are, please don't beat us up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing but love, nothing but love. No, I'm going to go see no. Dream Theater next month. So Are you? So, yeah. Good God. It's, I've never seen them perform. I've seen John Petrucci a couple of times, but I've mm. never seen Dream Theater. So I think it's, I think it's time. Coming there to will not Denver. be a woman, in, woman for miles at that show. Uh, yeah. You're not wrong there. Yeah. They have a new <laughs> album coming out, don't they? I think. I, you know, to be honest, I don't know. They come out with yeah. albums like every year. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They're you know, it's... really prolific. Take people that. want it, apparently. Uh, <laughs> well, some people apparently. want it. Oh, man. So, Lick of the Week, it's, I, I, we, we actually had to double take and, you know, because it's been such a while, whose Lick of the Week was the last time, and I believe it was John's. So, um, this is my choice for Lick of the Week this, uh, this week. And it's just kind of, not exactly mixing things up a little bit, but it might be a little bit of a, you know, a diversion, a little bit of a red, you know, uh, bait and switch in terms of who this guitar player might be. I'm going to shut up now so you can listen. Okay. I, I, I think I know, but now that you've said that, now it's, oh, ooh, okay. Mm. Goodness gracious, Kentucky Jelly. Mm-hmm. 
tasty Kentucky jelly. Ah, mm. I don't know if that's bourbon or what, but sure. Mm. Um, I'm going to guess Tommy Emmanuel. Okay, interesting, but no, and you're actually no. a bit far off. A bit far off. Think of a, think of a non-acoustic player who could be yeah. playing. Uh, John Five. No, closer, uh, though. That is warmer. Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give up on that one. So, John, because the only guitar music I seem to be listening to, to these days comes from this fecking book, but oh. <laughs> it is Brad Paisley. It is. Uh, uh, of course. It's of Kentucky course. Jelly. And the thing is, I cut it off just before the fiddle comes in because once it comes in, it's like, okay, this is actually legit country. But yeah, it's like a daggad sort of finger style thing. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, I, I was like, what is this in the middle of all these like breakneck country chicken oh my God. stuff? Yeah. It's great. Fun fact in the, uh, my, my goodness gracious, Kentucky Jelly or whatever, whatever right. the dialogue that is said there, it's, <laughs> I was looking through the, the tabs in the book and it, it's like vocal Snoop Dogg. And I'm like, that is Snoop Dogg. Um, what? <laughs> he got him in for one line. He was possibly, possibly quite stoned doing it. So. <laughs> what? Snoop? No. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Never, no. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more on our, our Snoop Dogg podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, that is Kentucky Jelly. Uh, I think it's like around the midpoint of play, the album by Brad Paisley, which I'm kind of currently obsessed with and is breaking my fingers on a regular basis. So yeah, I just wanted to share that as like a bit of a bait switch. Oh my goodness. He can't be that good an acoustic player, but he is. So. Uh, he's Well, he's good at everything. He you is, know. except lyrics. Brad Paisley? Oh, man, I don't really like the lyrics. He has songs about ticks and, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's better all... than regular bro country. Yeah, I suppose it's all kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff, which you gotta, I don't know. I give him credit for that. You know, yeah, I, I, he clearly does not take himself too seriously when it comes to writing lyrics. Songs like Alcohol, for example, you know, it's just, yes, I... it's, it's a bit of a lark, as they say. It is. Um, I don't know so who says we, that anymore, except like <laughs> seventy-year-old British people. But yeah, you know. <laughs> the cast of Monty Python. So <laughs> we're um, which which section? We've got two sections or segments rather planned for uh, this particular story. Which um, which which one are we going with, John? First, we're going with the. I can't remember. We decided. Uh, yes, I know. We decided before the show, and now you've confused me. Um, okay, we I, are actually doing. We're actually doing a new segment. I just realized yes, there called. I don't know how I came up with this. A lot of the time, I'll get a bit drunk and I'll message John going, we should totally do this. So I think that might have been one of those. But I think the idea for the segment was essentially one of us takes a guitar player or a band and tries to convince the other person that they're actually not as terrible as previously thought, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. John, I have a, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know who you're going to be talking about. I, I'm going to guess it's from the 80s or some sort of... <laughs> In this case, yeah, it basically is. So, uh, and what what are we calling it? I'm not sure we've decided a name, but something you hate it, but you'll love it, or I don't know, you hate it. Yeah, I, I think we've just got it down in the notes as you hate it. So it's going to go, <laughs> hate it till you love it or something like that. Or yeah. maybe I will make you like this thing. Um, please, friends, let us, let us know uh, what you think for a title. So for our uh, first, you know, ever debut of this uh john are you gonna tell me the band and tell me why i need to like them um 
uh, or why you chose them? Yeah, so I, I will definitely tell you why I chose them, but I think that's that's part of part of going through this. So like as you play through the riffs. So this is, and this is where like we we get that groan factor. This is Montley Crew. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was, that was, that that was didn't a even plan perfect <laughs> response. Okay. Okay. So, the crew. Uh, I, yeah. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> But yeah, this is it. So um, the thing is, uh, I think, I think obviously, and not without warrant, Motley Crue get a little bit of a bad rap. Um, the makeup, the excess, like they are everything that you just, you have come to think of and despise about the 80s. The booze, the drugs, all of it, the giant, you know, lights concerts the things in all the places power ballads everything yeah yeah like home sweet home which interestingly enough is not actually on one of the tracks that i sent here because i kind of hate that song to be honest but a lot of people do but i think uh, i think this i think they warrant some consideration and so to kind of demonstrate that uh, there's a few licks to walk through here so We've got uh, one, two, three, we got six. So we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. Sweet, all right, I'm gonna, uh, okay, I'm gonna start with this one and see how it goes. Okay. Okay, so so this is the intro to Shout at the Devil. Or not the intro, but it's kind of like midway through the song, I guess, that first verse. Um, not really one of my favorite songs, but I think it's important to kind of contextualize what Montley Crew is doing at the beginning. And they're coming out of kind of this the quiet riot, like, come on, feel the noise, like that sort of vein of the glam rock of the late 70s, early 80s. And yes. This is that, that first kind of like, hey, we're trying to do something a little bit different. It's got that arena rock, you know, stomp your feet, bang your fist in the air, wave your fist in the air. I don't know, whatever it is. I think bang it's your pump, head. John. I think it's pump. pump is is it pumping? Pump. Yeah. Pump, pump. Okay. Pump the gas. Yes. <laughs> in the air? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but I think it's what you begin to hear is kind of the, the production side of things. And really what they're going for is just this big sound and this is something that i think montley crew did that maybe only one or two other bands i think kind of got a hold of this sound during that time period and um even though we kind of think of arena rock and glam rock as like poison etc i don't think poison ever reached this sort of phase of like big sounds and so now as an example of those big sounds um why don't you check out the next one Yeah, I can get on board with that. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I think really what they capture well in the studio, and this is like ACDC, right? Like, ACDC is about the show almost more than, than just the recording. Um, and 
obviously Monthly Crew, once they get Tommy Lee spinning in a drum cage, going all yeah. over the place, you know. Hello, Tacoma. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I, and that's, that's the thing. So I think it's, I think it really, they are able to capture from their later albums, um, you know, like Girls, 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 which I think is the one that this is off of, like. Mm. What's the song called? Um, Wild Side. So this is the opening track off of Girls, Girls, Girls. Okay. Um, which was 1987. And so by this time, you know, they've managed to really get a sense of um, capturing that live performance, that big sound. And yeah, that like massive sound of an arena. And you think about, you think about the reverb on Tommy, Lee drum, Tommy Lee's drums and you just think about yeah. how big Mick Mars' guitar sounds. Yeah, and six is just crushing it with that bass, and so it's just that big feel that, again, like I said, I think Motley Crue is not necessarily it, Tommy Lee. I think is one of the best steady drummers, but I don't think he's necessarily super fancy. Am I right? Yeah, it kind of works uh, for the song, I suppose. And at the same time, yeah, it it does. It's complex. It's not. It's 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 on. It would if it was flashy, it would take away from what's going on. It's more about the kind of the groove and the the bop. And and that's just it. I think Monley Crew lay down. You listen to a riff like this, and they lay down a lot of that riff rock, riff metal stuff that's going to come out in the next, you know, eight to ten years after 1987. You yeah. Know, whether is... or not you want to admit you're influenced by a riff like that, you know. Somebody like Dimebag, for example, would probably never admit to it. But I think you can pick up some of these things in these like big heavy riffs, how that bass is playing, and it's about how the band comes together. You'll notice so far, I really haven't said anything about Tommy Lee's vocal, or not Tommy Lee, uh, Vince Neil's vocals. But um, <laughs> that's that's a whole other matter, I think. Okay, so <laughs> let's 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 keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. So cool. number three. All right, cool. Let's, let's give it a whirl. Yes, I, I actually, this is, I, I love this song. And I remember yeah. how I came, how I actually first listened to Dr. Feelgood, um, titular song on the album, Dr. Feelgood, was I was got, I had a, like a Total Guitar magazine and I had it written out. And it was like, no, it was like, you know, the, the harmonics being with the whammy bar. And I was yeah. like, Jesus, what does, I saw it written out and I was like, what does that sound like? And I think I was kind of captured by the groove because it comes back to Tommy Lee again. Like it's, it's, it's not flashy, but it's not easy either what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and it's all very much contributing to the song. But yeah, this is this is Bob Rock as the producer, right? Who did the Black Album. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, let, me, let me double check that. Let's see. Yeah, yeah Bob Rock. Bob Rock yeah. was on this one. Who, but you know what's interesting is you have two different producers between Girls, Girls, Girls and uh, this one, feel good, yeah. which is 1989. Uh, Tom Werman did girls 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 but i think at this point what bob rock does is he doesn't come in and create a whole new sound mm. um but he captures that same essence that came from the band and so i think really when you compare those two you see a difference between um or you, you don't see a difference between them necessarily from that element of just like that big motley crew sound and that 
baseline that's just going to smack you right in the chest and you've got just the solid uh, groove that the whole band creates. You know, Tommy Lee holds it together there, but I think it's so important that you get the rest of that just kind of pumping, you know? Yeah, it's 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 like I I am impressed by how good it sounds and how tight it is, and I don't know the song construction as well. I mean, is there what there's what three solos or two or three solos in Doctor Feelgood? I assume one of those is we're going to listen to one of them. Yep, that's that's next. So this I believe is the first solo. Let's go with that. so good cool Cool. and so i like again here i think is a great example um you've got the perfect groundwork laid for mick mars to kind of come in and do this now i have respect for mick mars but i think there were definitely better players out there in the decade however this just fits and he he's he's a great pentatonic lead player comes in with kind of those slides of yeah there's it's, a nice it's, little like Wayne's World <laughs> sound, but <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's like this is kind of the Richie Sambora era as well in terms mm-hmm. of like there's a little bit of whammy bar abuse. There's yeah. you know there's tapping. There's you know it, it is flashy, um, but you know it, it, women love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just I yeah I I love this solo because it is just literally him throwing everything at the wall and you know it just the just going for the, the really speedy runs that finishes with that really nice, quite, you know, tasteful tapping run at the end. And um, yeah, it's, it, this is, a, I can't argue that this is actually a, like a really good song with a really good solo, but it's weird. Like, I mean, after this, so this is 80, probably 88, 89, 89. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just after Guns N' Roses kind of made it big. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, if appetite I'm not for eighty-eight. Yeah, appetite for destruction was eighty-eight. So, mm. you know, um, but I think there's, like I said, there to me the this album and uh, the one before it are kind of seamless in in how they sound. And so, despite the fact that you have two different producers, I think you have a really good uh, close knit group that is essentially cranking out the same material along a continuum. So, yeah, do one more here, and cool. let's do. Um, how about you do, let's do the KS intro. Okay. Yeah, it, it's hard not to <laughs> that as much as I hate myself for saying yeah, it. So, and that's the thing. Damn I mean, Motley Crue is just, it's fun. Like, the, the, I, I do think, like, the production value is really good. This intro, I just love the snare. I just love the snare and that yeah. really simple riff, you know, that like, but it just, again, it fits you have a, like you said the whammy bar abuse at the beginning the the whole like motorcycle driver yeah yeah but yeah it's a great 
sound. It is, uh, and it's. I I think Mick Myers did everything down a step in terms of tuning. Uh, you know, I'd have to check on that. Yeah, I know that Doctor Feelgood is that way anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It kind of adds it uh, maybe a thickness to what's going on. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I, I I could see where you're coming from here. It's weird because these were like I don't know of all those. 80s kind of hair bands i suppose yeah. would you say they're the biggest um because the, they're not big over here like the molly crew are not really a thing over here at all well, so so that's the thing i feel like in, in hindsight i mean they were they were one among many i and i to be honest i don't know you know where they kind of fall in that but i do think their influence with these like they were i think they were a big influence on riff rock and groove metal that was to mm. come out um between you know essentially 90 what would that be kind of like 92 to about 2002 like that next 10 year period after essentially Montley crew kind of faded from the scene a little bit it was the end of the whole glam rock thing um i i would say that they definitely they had a major influence that probably isn't really recognized but i think as you listen to a lot of that groove metal you can point to and be like yeah it's, that's interesting i mean the whole like pantera and um, because pantera were a hair metal band let us not forget yeah and uh, there's a great interview with uh, rex brown the bass player from pantera who's like oh yeah on cowboys from hell our first album and in the comments it's just like oh really the first album rex what about the hair metal <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the internet never forgets it never does at all uh so yeah it's it's interesting just to kind of if you hear i never thought of that before in terms of that kind of idea of influence. But I, I think I think you can hear it. I think you can hear it in how the drums are produced um, in the next five that. years or so. Just that that really tight snare. Um, but you do, you, you hear less reverb, right? Like it tends to be a closer sound, but you still, mm-hmm, you hear that tight, thin snap of a snare as opposed to kind of a thud that you would get more on like, say the black album i think but yeah that's my take on it i mean correct me if i'm wrong about my snare <laughs> terminology snare knowledge, yeah would you talk about uh, well save it for our snare podcast and uh, <laughs> or what do we call it tightening the head i don't know um, yeah, <laughs> something stupid um so uh, john i actually have to ask before we move on to our next segment uh thank you for preparing all the clips i, I appreciate it um, have you have you read the dirt the, the the Motley Crue autobiography book. No, no, I haven't. Oh, John, I I was in the states for a summer and I picked it up in a bookshop because somebody had said it was the best rock book about rock and roll ever written, and it's amazing. It's like so good. Basically, what had happened? Neil Strauss, you know, the journalist who wrote the game, basically yeah. sat down with each member and got them all to tell the full oh story. And then basically it's every, you get, you hear every big event happening, but from the four different perspectives. Oh and it's my so word. interesting. That's got to be Mars, insane, man. It's, it's so good. I highly recommend everybody to read The Dirt, even if you're not a, like a rock music fan. It's so entertaining. When they go to Japan and just, it's just insane. And they go touring with Ozzy and they go into this prank war. It's, it's great. It's really, really good reading. But like one thing that I was just talking, bringing it back to guitars is Mick Mars was a lot older than the rest of them in terms of, uh, let me just double check this now. Like um, 10 years older, kind of like Andy Summers in the police. Something similar to that, actually. Interesting. 
Um, yeah, it's weird because like everybody knows now is that, yeah, so Mick Myers is about seven years older than the rest of them. So, oh, like, okay. they were, you know, in their 20s, he was like hitting, you know, mid 20s, he was hitting 30. So, you know, older a little bit. So, but yeah, uh, it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's a great book. Um, and, and people know like the members and stuff for individual things, especially like Tommy Lee, you know, for, yeah. for, other, for other things. But it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, 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 forget about the music, man. Um, sweet, John, thank you for that report. So we're going to bring it back to guitar a little bit more in terms of, um, so we, we, we talked a little bit last time about learning things. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about, um, you know, because you've talked about setting goals and we haven't mm -hmm. really talked about, you know, actually learning new things. And I suppose what I wanted to talk to you from a guitar teacher perspective was when you're teaching mm -hmm. students, if a student comes to you with a piece, I suppose it depends on the piece that they want to learn. But do you have like a go-to sort of method when it comes to actually like for yourself, even for learning new parts, do you have like a system or something like that? Cause it's something that I've been playing with for a while. And I'm just wondering if you had any perspectives to share on that. Yeah, it kind of depends. Like I will take from my own perspective. One of the biggest things I think I learned in college was how to learn a piece. Um, and then how to practice on top of it. So oh, right. getting Hit all me. kinds of like fun static electricity. So forgive me here for a second. <laughs> it's dry in Colorado. What can I say? So um, anyway, but one of the things that I think is super important is to kind of get a basic overview or a snapshot of what you're playing in the first place. And for me, that usually means there's, there's kind of two different approaches. Like let's say um, it's a classical piece or um, it's a contemporary piece. It's pop music, it's rock, it's country, whatever. And usually like I'll look at the music or I'll listen to whatever it is I'm listening to. And I will kind of go through the piece and, and look at, okay, this is gonna be a little bit harder. This is gonna be a little bit easier and kind of work that out. And then maybe as part of my practice, I'll isolate, say, those two measures that I identified from the solo where it's just like, what is this nonsense? And try to pick it out. Okay. Just, let's get my fingers under it first. And then the next thing that I usually like to try to do is walk through large chunks or maybe even the whole piece. And by walk, I literally mean walk. Just read the music top to bottom, play through the piece and just get my fingers used to the roadmap of the piece. Okay, that's interesting. I thought when you said walk through, I thought you meant like just like listen to it or try and find a recording and, and, and read along. But you actually mean slow, I suppose, slow yeah. it down to a snail's pace and actually just play every piece, every, you know, every I, I think I think you're right though in listening to it and finding a recording of it and reading along. Like that's that's a really good really good take on it because that's how you can circle that like ah oh, these two measures are actually way harder than they look or the timing on this you can put little question marks and make notes as you go and that's something i think jim little talked a little bit about that as well you know make notes as you go yeah. and so as you're trying to as you as you're trying to do that i think the other thing that's really important and this is why theory is important is to recognize what you're playing and what's the context so for example, if you're working on a Brad Paisley thing, like you just might be, um, what's the context of that riff? What's the context of that solo? What are the notes he's playing? How does it outline, let's say he's playing it over a B minor chord. Well, 
where are the notes in the B minor? How does he use that open string? Is he using the D or the G and why? Why is he choosing those notes? Okay, so, so you're kind of looking at the overall harmony and just figuring out right. what notes belong to the chord and what don't and, and how I think it that's, works. I, I think that's really easy to get lost in those things when we're learning either A, a riff, or B, a, um, a solo, and we just play the notes in the solo. Well, why are you playing those notes? He's got a reason for playing those notes. Mm. Whoever, whoever's playing that, you know, there's a reason why the guitar player, the composer, wrote it that way. So why are you using those notes? And I think having that, that theory background, at least enough to know this is a D chord or a B minor, whatever the case may be, and a lot of similarities there. And you can see like, oh, this is why he plays that D and notice he walks it down all the way to that A and, that's, and then he hangs out on that A before going up to the F sharp, you know, like being able to see that and then you can see where the notes are and where that fits in. So a lot of times, you know, for example, if I'm teaching something like Wish You Were Here, which I probably teach that song at least twice a month, and <laughs> that intro, right, the intro solo is just outlining the chords as he goes through those chords. And okay. yeah, it's, so it's, it's important to look at that. Like when he plays that G chord, and he, what does he do? The first note he slides up on is a B. So... That's the third of a G chord. That's why he's using that note. And that's why he's spending all that time on B and D in that intro. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. And I've I just, that's, that's, that's really cool. I, I really like that in terms of uh, not just learning a piece by rote, but deconstructing what you're doing. I think it's a really, really cool perspective to approach it with. Well, and I think that's how you really get to know a piece. So the difference between um, the way most classical players are going to learn a piece and the way most uh, pop contemporary players are going to learn a piece is you just try to mimic what's on the recording, which to a certain extent is fine. And I had this conversation with a student who's learning a Joe Pass tune. And I was like, this is how Joe Pass plays this section of chords. But you're interpreting this. Mm. So what do you think? How should that note sound? Even though this is his rendition of it, you know, when we play a, let's say, um, a Fernando Sor piece, something simple on classical guitar. When we play that piece, there's dynamic markings and whatever, but are we actually thinking about, is the crescendo here? How do I make this note sound? How do I make these notes sound in comparison to the other notes around them? Which I think is something we don't do typically when we're just playing through a rock piece or we're learning a guitar solo. It's like, mm. okay, why is this note the way it is and should it be louder should it be quieter what about my pick attack you know looking at how am how am i approaching this note there's so many little things that i think we we have a tendency to miss when it comes to phrasing and and that's what separates people who are just masters of phrasing like mm. david gilmore from the rest of us who just kind of like we might play the same notes but we're not thinking about like should this third note be slightly louder than the, the note that comes after dynamic. it and after that. And so we, we have the decreasing dynamic. In other words, we do the mechanics really well. And mm -hmm. that's really what I think a lot of stuff, you know, when we're doing videos on YouTube or even uh, just picking, picking up tabs and those sorts of things, we miss listening to the piece, which is why I said the first thing you should do is listen to it and make notes. 
because when you really sit down and listen to it and you go, oh, there's a dynamic change there instead of just ham fisting your way through it, which, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that too. Like I'm working on a Steve Vai piece. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But, um, you know, like when I'm, when I'm just kind of going through it, like I'll ham fist it and then I'll go back and go, okay, so how is he articulating each one of these notes? And when yeah. it's, somebody like Steve Vai or David Gilmore, they are, they're thinking about it as they're playing it. They have that dynamic mindset of these notes are going down slightly, or I need to keep this whole thing even. And when you listen back to your version of it, it's kind of like all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, you're kind of, Blow my mind a little bit here, John. I just I don't know. That's sorry. No, <laughs> it's great. I have way more way more thoughts on this than I was. Expecting. No, it's great, and it's so. it's great to kind of have that um you know background that you have as well. Just kind of able to to tell myself and our listeners about it. It's 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 a it's a real privilege. Um, just one more question before we we move on to the next section. How important do you think it is to? I suppose just to like learning pieces is, I mean, for say, you know, you can practice technique all day and you can, you know, improvise and you can work on stuff and you can do ear training and all that stuff. But in terms of like sitting down with a piece and actually learning it, do you, do you place a lot of importance in that? Um, yes. Now what that, that can vary a lot. It, it also depends upon kind of your goals. You yeah. know, I have, I have some students who are like, it's my goal to be in a cover band and play, you know, 45 tunes. Okay, yeah. well, let's work through that. Mm. Obviously, you have to learn the song front to back to play it live. Um, but I think there's something in that because it does give you the chance to finish something. So even if your goal is to just write more music, I, I think it helps to be able to sit through and play all the way through a piece. Because then you get to see how somebody else did this process. You do, you go through everything we just talked about and then you begin to reverse engineer something. Then you can see your pieces all the way through in a similar fashion. On top of that, you see their vocabulary. It's kind of like saying, uh, I think the tendency is with a lot of guitar players is to pick up bits and pieces. And I, I mean, I'm super guilty of this. Like, that's a really sweet riff. And I just grabbed that. And a lot of times it, earlier mm. in, my, in my career, it would be completely out of context. I would just pick up whatever, a John Petrucci lick and be like, hey, it's a great yeah. lick. Um, and to a certain extent, some of that stuff, I mean, it's just it's stupid hard to play. And I may have <laughs> not been at a point in my life where I could have played all the way through it. And that's fine. But if you can then contextualize it, that riff actually then has meaning somewhere else. So Cliffs of Dover is another one that I've got a couple of students working on. If you take that, um, the, the main kind of chorus riff that we all can yeah. remember, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, that little bit, um, and translate it into a different key, that's where I think you begin to actually see the usefulness of learning these things. So I think it's important to get someone's vocabulary. I think it's important to see something all the way through. Do you need to learn a whole bunch of pieces? It kind of depends upon what you want to do. If you yeah. want to play a whole bunch of classical guitar, yeah, yeah, you just do. Uh, <laughs> but if you're trying to develop kind of your own style, I think it's good to figure out how to cover people because then you learn, this is how they played it. How do I make it different and make it my own? And then how do I essentially take those phrases? 
Mm. If you were to write a book, you wouldn't just sit down and be like, well, I've read a chapter of this and a chapter of that. No, you'd sit down and figure like, who are the guys and girls? Like, who are, who are the authors I really respect, right? And you would sit down and you would read whoever they are and you would try to figure out what's their style, why do they do this? And then you would sit down and begin to write yours, right? You wouldn't just, well, I've, I've kind of, I read part of a book and another part of a book and now I'm going to write a novel. Like, you wouldn't do that if you were trying yeah. to be an author. And I think the same kind of point, actually, that perspective. Yeah, as as a musician, like you have a hard time bringing things together if you've never sat down and worked through an entire piece. It's of course, like I mean, like kind of that perspective and like learning how about how things are constructed and how and phrasing and I suppose yeah, it does kind of put another spin on it. And that you know, it gives you I suppose another level of if you are writing something, writing other, learning other pieces will help you kind of figure out a sense of conclusion or, you know, yeah, how to, how to figure things out and phrasing as well in terms of like song structure and like, you know, bars and stuff like that. That's something that I'm really getting into right now is just for the songs that I'm writing in terms of like, should it be conforming to this like pop? Cause there is like a pop formula for mm-hmm. how many bars, you know, for everything um, to hit that beautiful three minute, 12 second, um that's the the goal so yeah no that's cool man that's that's unreal so let's uh make a very uh cunning segue into um what have you been working on oh is is this an actual question or is this this an actual question is this the rough segue so um yeah no like i said i i i have been working on this steve vibe piece juice which um yeah it was off the alien love secrets album it's kind of this boogie bluesy thing but it's a piece yeah. and i may have mentioned it last episode too that it it's one of those that i've had just for ages meant to learn all the way through and i was like that that's it this year i'm finally doing it i'm gonna work all the way through this thing and i'm doing all those things i just told you to do so <laughs> Because it well, is, good. like, it's, it's a crazy complicated piece. It is and it isn't, let me put it that way, because it's, it's Steve Vai. There's really tough parts, and then there's parts that are super easy. It's really easy to pick out the A and B section in this, you know. Mm. Um, but that said, and there's, there's a lot of little fills that he puts in, and there's, there's kind of a main riff idea, and in between each main riff idea, he's got a little fill that he throws in just to blow your mind a little bit so because he can yeah exactly so it's it's definitely challenging but like i said it's one of those that i've meant to learn for a really long time and i've started into several times and then i don't know life happens and i never finish it so yeah i need to play it all the way through and now it's out there in the ether along with eugene's trick bag which is coming along but now everybody that listens to this podcast knows and is rolling their eyes and like, oh, dear Lord, are you ever going to show us this thing? We're going to need it. So, We're going to need it on the gram. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Subtle hint to, uh, to subscribe to our Instagram. Go we're on Instagram show. now. We, we are. We are. And we're, we're trying to put more stuff up there. So both of us need to need to be more on top of that. But at any rate, so you, sir, I'm going to guess yours probably has something to do with the giant Brad Paisley book behind you. <laughs> 
yes, in fact, I took a little bit of a break in terms of like my practice, uh, the structure of you know, my practice routine in terms of the, uh, the, the learning segment of that I was trying to focus on for sitting down and learning stuff was uh, I recently played a few shows with a Portland singer songwriter named Wim and I was in her backing band for that and she plays like harmonically super easy stuff but it was good to kind of figure out you know, to try and sit down and be like, can I learn this song from start to finish with only listening to it once? And kind of, it was cool. She sent me like 10 songs. And I literally think that in the terms of structure and, you know, harmonic phrasing, uh, I was able to figure them out within one listen and just write down notes, which was really, really cool because it was, uh, ear training is definitely something that I've somewhat neglected. Uh, so not only it was kind of cool I was kind of given this blank canvas because she just sent me demos and it was like okay put whatever you want over there over them so um, which was cool Uh, so I've been always working on that for a good while I'm back with Brad now Um, we've made up and (laughs) I um, I also I've been kind of playing around with some some gear that I've you know, some pedals that I have been neglecting. So I've been spending some time with my Keeley Tone workstation and I got a Moore Trelicopter. Oh, fun. 30 euro, which is, uh, it's great. It's a really, really nice little pedal and I don't see myself ever needing another tremolo pedal. So, uh, which is not something I can say about any of my other pedals. You better watch yourselves. And- you know what you should do? You should do a little video talking about them and put it on our Instagram page. Oh boy, maybe I will. <laughs> Might hook up my little Yamaha thing. Um, I have been posting, I did post a video recently of I figured out uh, a little solo by a, a Galway band uh, called Canaries, who I was able to just like kind of like figure it out by ear and I put that up on the gram. And then I also put up uh, a lick from one of the transitionings shots from Friends last night. Yeah, um, which like I've always wanted to I've always wanted to learn that. So uh, there's so many those little guitar parts are really, really nice in between the, the scene transitions and friends. But uh yeah, so just, that's kind of something. Um in terms of stuff other stuff I kinda of want to work on. Uh oh, one thing I have been working on musically, which isn't I suppose it is kind of related to guitar, but in terms of I'm trying to set myself more time to write a day as opposed to technique and mm. I was listening to this uh, measuring progress episode of a, a podcast. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, it might have been actually this audio book that I've been listening. No, it was. It was this audio book that I listened to called Deep Work. And it was all about, you know, it was oh, yeah. really Cal Newport basically about how the, the various approaches to, to focus and, you know, uh, you know, cr- systemically working over a long period of time. And one of the things he pointed out was that uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, when he wanted to, when he wrote a, a joke that was good enough to perform on stage, he would put a red X through a date in the calendar. So he'd have something to refer to. So it'd be like, oh, you don't want to, you don't want to like, you know, you don't want a, a, a blank spot to appear on your record and um, so that's actually one of the things i've been doing with my wall calendar i've been like sitting down and i'm like okay if i write something that i'm comfortable enough would be going into a song then i put like a, a circle around the day and it's um it's cool it's in terms of a motivation tool i, I actually really like it i think it's the, vis- the more visual the better with me so yeah, yeah we should cool. talk we should talk about all that stuff next time so definitely all calendars yeah. and planners and all the, all the <laughs> like really nerdy like deep work type stuff because I, yeah, I think that's important if if we want to achieve these goals as musicians I, there's so many distractions and usually if you're a typical musician you're probably easily distracted 
Um, so <laughs> I would agree how do with we, that. How, how do we how do we hone in on those things? Which was one of the reasons why I approached you in the first place to start this podcast. Mm. So Just there you techniques. go. Some insight. Sweet. And have you been listening to anything else? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's been interesting. I think I think we talked a little bit about it at one point, but just some gypsy jazz stuff. Um, oh, trying to get some some of that under under my fingers and exploring some new things. Periphery came out with a new song that's like super heavy. So there's that. Should get Maddie's opinion on that. Our <laughs> periphery expert. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, it's my my listening has been pretty erratic. Like a lot of a lot of different jazz things out there, um, mm. film composers. Cool. So um, yeah, like John Fox and things like that. So to be honest, like nothing really specific. I just kind of hit the random button on the Spotify and you know let it just go. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. That, yeah. What about you, man? Um, so a few things. Uh, I got asked to support a Texas bluegrass band on Sunday in my lo- one of my local bars, and it was a. Uh, they're called Whiskey Shivers, and they like you know they tour for six weeks at a time in Europe, and they go back to Austin, and then they come back. They do really well in Europe because, you know. Uh, western like scandinavia and germany they love that kind of music and over here as well yep. so yeah it was they were such nice guys and uh, they have an album out that was out recently called uh well they released a covered album covers album called smothered and covered which i really enjoyed which includes a uh, bluegrass That's cover a waffle of house reference too i don't know if you know it that. is yes they yeah. have a picture of they have a picture of waffles uh, scattered smothered album. covered yeah. and topped and chunks and Hash browns for those of you. Yum. Who don't know. Um, and they would they cover like uh, everything from Iron Maiden to like popular you know EDM songs. So it's it's really oh, wow. really, really really good. But they uh, have a new, another song called uh, "Some Part of Something," which is sorry is the the album name, which is fucking great. It's got like you know a Cure cover. It's got them doing like bluegrass standards, and it finishes on "True Love Will Find You" by the end in the end by Daniel Johnson, which is one of my favorite songs. So that was really really cool. And them being such nice guys, so it was like really kind of like I want to listen to more of their music and promote it. So that also I have put together a playlist of my favorite modern Irish music, oh. um, on which you can find on my Instagram. It's called Modern Irish Bops, and uh, yeah, people are starting to follow it. I'm updating it maybe on a daily basis now. So that's kind of what I'm wow. going for. Yeah, digging, digging it. There's a lot of cool stuff coming out right now. So I just kind of wanted to cast a light on that. But John, I think that's the show. I think so. Holy cow. It's been quite the show. We've covered a lot. So, yeah, no kidding. All right. Well, follow us on the... probably not listen to Motley Crue, but... Um... Yeah, well, I probably won't be either. I've had enough of it for the morning, to be honest. But... <laughs> Yes, you, dear listener, should reconsider whether or not Monley Cruz is as terrible as you think they are. So, yes. uh, at any rate, yeah, follow us on the Instagram, the face page, all the other fun stuff. All the other fun stuff. Uh, yeah. You can email us in if you would like us to uh, plug your thing or if you would like to suggest a topic or uh, if you com- completely disagree with us and uh, want to fight us uh, verbally or physically, uh, please email us at sharpenthatacts at gmail.com. Please don't fight us. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, Sweet. So, friends, until next time, hopefully in another two weeks or so, uh, probably sooner than the last time, last gap. (laughs) Yeah, between episodes happen here. But hey, we got lives to live, all right? Mm. You go live your life and stay sharp.